Shut up and sit down. Welcome to the Health and Wealth Podcast with your hosts, Tim and Carter. What's trending in Richards? Carter Wilcox, founder of CSI Financial Group here with my co-host and former wealth advisor, Tim James, founder of chemicalfreebody.com and your new health advisor. This is the show where we reveal the connection between physical and financial abundance. Hey, welcome back in Richards, Carter Wilcox, and coming to you live from uh, cool down Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> and I got to tell you, um, I am so super stoked about this podcast today. I have been in anticipation of this for a few weeks now after we booked our guests. This is not a traditional uh, guest that we have on today, so you're definitely going to want to stay. But before we bring in our guest, uh, I want to go ahead and bring in my esteemed co-host, Mr. Chemical Free Body himself, Tim James. Timmy, how are you, buddy? Hey, doing great. Doing great, Carter. Happy to be here. Get a get another show under the belt and, um, and maybe just have a little bit different format. Things are going good over here in Eastern Oregon. We dumped on last night. Last couple of days, we've had a lot of rain. Um, so I guess that's good if you're an alfalfa farmer and you're growing alfalfa. But if you're a wheat farmer, that might be a problem because they're right in the middle of harvest right now. So um is what it is. Uh, most of the wheat's genetically modified and sprayed and tilled, so it doesn't really matter. Maybe it was, it'd probably be better for the human race if it all got messed up and they just had to get their crop insurance and get paid that way so they don't have to release it out into the market and screw up everybody's gut. It's unfortunate because the people that are working here doing these fields are hardworking, good, decent folks. They just don't know what they don't know. But um, that's what we're here for. We're here to bring awareness to people and tap people into their consciousness so they can start making different buying decisions. Um with their money that they make every month and, um, you know, make different decisions in their life so they can have a health and wealth. That's what we're here for. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, um, I'm pretty excited. I'm, I'm back at the grind again. Um, I've got some pretty big, uh, announcements that are coming up really soon with our, our business, with the Epic services company, with the strategic partner that we have press releases coming out, uh, probably within the next week. In fact, by the time anybody's listening to this, it's probably already been released out there, but it's uh, with one of the largest financial institutions in the in the country, uh, if not the world. So I'm very excited about a partnership with that. But more importantly than that, I just got back from a little vacation because I've been grinding it like a madman. Did three days at Disneyland with the kids and uh, walked over 33 miles in three days, dude. It was wow. crazy. So, but it was fun. And then we spent four days sitting on the beach at, uh, you know, uh, in Newport beach. So that was nice. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Well, um, as I mentioned at the top of the show in Richards, uh, you're in for a treat, sit back and relax. I want to go ahead and bring in our guest today. Uh, Charlie Belgian, who is a former PGA tour player, PGA tour winner. Uh, and Charlie and I actually go way back, back whenever he was a junior golfer at Alta Mesa Country Club, uh, he and I connected on Instagram and he made a post about basically saying, uh, you know, without your health, it doesn't matter how much wealth you have. Right. So I asked him, hey, you know, would you be open to coming out here and or and being on the podcast? I say out here he's out in uh, Mesa. Are you in Mesa, Charlie? Yeah, Northeast Mesa. All right. Perfect. So he he agreed to go ahead and be in, on the show. So, um, Charlie, thank you very much for joining us and, and we're really excited about you know getting a chance to hear a little bit more of your backstory i know a little bit more about you um and your health journey and I, I want you to be able to share some of that stuff but um 
you know, I, it really is a, a great pleasure to be able to have you on the show with us today. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on and I look forward to it. And uh, when I saw it was the health and wealth podcast, those are the two main things that I focus on in my life. So I thought no better fit than doing this with you guys. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I do like to give a little bit of, you know, backstory and context to our guests and everything. Um, do you mind sharing a little bit about, you know, your junior golf days and then eventually, you know, getting to the PGA tour? Maybe we can even talk a little bit about fairly well documented on some of the struggles that you were dealing with on the, on the health side of things with your one uh, PGA tour win. Yeah. So I was born and raised out here in Mesa, Arizona, where I still live. Uh, like you mentioned, grew up at Alta Mesa country club and then uh, played junior golf around here. Did pretty well for myself. Won the U S junior amateur, which gave me a pick to go to any college I wanted to went to the university of New Mexico for the Lobos Played over there for four years and then got done there and grinded it out on the mini tours for about four or five years, um, but never got through Q school. And then in 2011, I got um, I got through Q school, got my tour card, won my rookie year. And then, um, you know, kind of everything went downhill for me after that. I wasn't mature enough to handle it. I didn't really know who I was, got mixed up in the booze. And just went down a bad path where I started dealing with depression and anxiety and was taking medications. And Were you hanging out with John Daly? You know what? As a matter of fact, because I traveled in a bus, I parked with Daly every single week that he was there. Daly and I would, um, I've got videos of him washing his bus with a cigarette in his mouth and his girlfriend in a bikini scrubbing it. So I, I played the tour. I took a leave of absence in 2015 for some mental health stuff and then happened to run across a thing called Bitcoin. Uh, have done really well in that. And, and all of a sudden I had a lot of time and some extra money and really went down the booze hole and got myself in a really bad situation. And now I'm 70 pounds lighter. I'm almost three years sober and my life is completely different and more amazing than I ever thought it could be. Yeah, you know, I've uh, I've gotten a chance to, you know, through Instagram. Look, there's good things about social media, too, right? Because you really get a sense of, especially if you're being a real person and you've been very transparent on your, you know, your recovery and everything. And, and I got to tell you, it's inspirational. I mean, I, I think it's important for uh, those listening uh, that, you know, that may be challenged with, you know, drugs, alcohol, food addiction, whatever that might be. You know, if you can find someone that can inspire you, I mean, you know, definitely take it upon yourself to, you know, listen to their story and listen to their journey. But, you know, why don't you share a little bit, uh, you know, about how maybe what the everybody says when you've been drinking and, and drugs and alcohol. And I, I come from a dependent family. I mean, my dad's been in prison seven times and, uh, you know, my, my brother has dealt with you know, addiction and everything, you know, what was your uh, rock bottom and what was it that maybe led you to start going down this three years now of sobriety? You know, I, uh, my mom was a massive alcoholic. She's about to celebrate her 23 years of sobriety, but growing up fighting with her screaming and yelling, um, telling myself I was never going to be like her. I was never going to have a drinking problem. And then all of a sudden I found myself right in the thick of things. For me, rock bottom was it was a Sedona Open about three years ago coming up. And uh, the last round, I hit 18 greens and I had 14 three putts because my hands were shaking so bad from the booze and the anxiety. 
And uh, then I was taking Xanax to try to calm down the anxiety, which if you do that while you're drinking enough booze, you could end up like Whitney Houston or Heath Ledger. And and uh, I just, you know, I, I'd been running hard since I was probably like 15 years old. And somehow I, I was able to manage to play some of the best golf of my life and, and be one of the best players in the world. And, um, you know, along with the the fame and the money just came more opportunities to party at different levels. And, um, you know, I had a son, I have a son 10 years old and what it finally came down to is, um, I couldn't, I didn't want my son to grow up watching me yelling at the TV, yelling at football games, gambling, screaming. I mean, I had people over, you know, four days a week and it was an open door and we just had a great time. Um, and because of the golf, I had a lot of different, uh, influences from all different ranges from athletics to business to high profile people. And we were just, we were doing things that a lot of people, um, will probably never get to experience. And I don't regret any of them. However, this, this path of sobriety for me has been just overwhelmingly filled with, uh, gratitude and love and just a whole new outlook on life. And like you said, I started sharing my story on Instagram and what was amazing is the amount of people that really reached out and just said, Hey man, thanks for being authentic. Thanks for sharing your story. I think like right now I probably mentor like 25 different people helping them get sober. Um, you know, and I set guidelines. I'm like, don't tell me you're going to do it. And then we're not going to do it. And I'll have to cancel lunches on people or rounds of golf because they like, Hey man, I fell off the train. And I'm like, that's fine. But you know, you're, you're held accountable. Thank you for telling me, but you know, I'm not going to then reward you by going and playing golf with you. So I've learned so much, you know, the last three years has almost been like a new life for me because I started drinking heavy when I was young, man. I remember the first time I got drunk, I was in eighth grade and just kind of continued on because I was hanging out with the older kids doing all that kind of stuff because I happened to be really good at golf and it just led me down a tough path. And, and I'm so lucky that, uh, you know, rock bottom wasn't terrible. It was scary for me. A lot of other people have rock bottom and much worse places, but I got to like 280 pounds. I was unhealthy. I was gross. And, uh, I just made a change and I, I woke up one morning and said, I was never going to have another drink. And everybody laughed at me. Funny story. I haven't smoked a cigarette in about six years ago or six years now, but I was hitting balls next to Tom Watson on the driving range. And he was giving me hell about smoking cigarettes. And uh, I looked at my caddy and I said, you know what? I'm never going to have another cigarette again. And I never did. And I, I'm lucky that I have that on and off switch. Um, but when it's on, I'm full tilt. And when it's off, it's totally gone. So I'm lucky to have that. I haven't you know, had any relapses or fallen back. It's just full steam ahead. And uh, I'm grateful for that. But it's been a great journey. And I look forward to the upcoming months and weeks and years ahead. Yeah, well, I mean, I got to tell you, um, it's great to you know, to see that. And I know how much hard work that yeah. that really takes. Right. And I can yeah. understand and appreciate, you know, what it is that it takes. Um, I mean, it, it's like anybody who wants to be fit and, you know, it's, it's a mindset, right? So, yeah. you know, um, why don't you share a little bit about, you know, the mindset that it takes for, or, or what was the difference? I mean, you're 15 and I remember whenever you're 15, 16 years old, Top junior golfer, right? I mean, top golfer at Ultimate yeah. Country Club, yeah. right? You know, you, you had the Mueller's out there and you had yeah. uh, Brooks Boys and everything. And, you know, I remember all that stuff, but I, re- I always remember, and I played golf with you on multiple occasions, but for all I know, you don't remember, you might have been drinking when you were that age. Right, right. Um, 
So what was it, you know, what is the correlation or the connection when it comes to the mind with, you know, your between how strong you are and how talented you are, how important the mind is more important maybe than the ability is? Well, I think the mind is is way more important than the ability. I've got numerous friends that have much more ability than me, but they're weak-minded. And I think that's what separates the guys. You know, it's such a fine line between when you get to a certain level at anything, everybody's got the ability. It's about the mindset. You know, if you talk about Tiger Woods, he used to, he didn't hit it down the middle of every fairway. He didn't hit it on every green. He was hitting it in the trees, but that guy was so mentally tough from how his dad raised him that that's what separated them. If you look at the golfers now, you know, everybody hits it far, everybody puts it good, but it's just that fine line of that extra mental maturity and toughness and, and guts um, that makes the difference. And I kind of, I took the discipline and that mindset from golf to making it, uh, you know, being disciplined and being sober, being disciplined and eating right, being disciplined and, um, and, and lifting weights and getting healthy. And I've just kind of taken that, that mindset that I, I learned from a young age in golf and how to be great and applied it to the rest of the things in my life. And I've just excelled beyond what I ever thought I could. And um, the future's bright and I just can't wait to see where it takes me. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Um, you know, I have a junior golfer in my midst uh, also. And, you know, one of the things that I, I share with him on a regular basis, you know, he's 16 years old, right? Um, He's been an underachiever. There's no doubt about it. I see the ability, but I can just see the challenges and the struggles that he has on the golf course with, you know, you know anger issues and the expectation yeah. issues and, and all of that stuff. You know, one of my biggest fears, because there's a, there's a lot of uh, dependency that runs in my family. You know, I mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, my dad, who was a very hard worker, had to become the breadwinner of his family when he was really young, like 14 years old. And, uh, you know, things happened in his own family and and he worked and worked and worked and worked his way up. And then he got introduced to, um, to cocaine and mm -hmm. that was the end of it basically for him. And, you know, it's, uh, so my, my biggest fear is that I have this son who has like all this talent and all this ability. And, you know, I'm trying to instill in him, you know, patience and understanding and, you know, to channel that all that anger that he's got into yeah. a positive way and everything. But it does concern me that, uh, you know, one wrong turn and, you know, that, that can lead you down a bad path. You know, that's all it takes is one wrong turn. And, you know, since I started sharing my stories, I've had a lot of companies fly me out to speak last week. I played the Arizona open. I finished on Monday. I hopped a plane to uh, Tahoe Monday night. I spoke to the, the top 70 juniors uh, at a juniors America cup you know, when I go speak to these kids, the first thing I tell them is, hey, I was your age once and I was also a lot better at golf than you. And I sat there and I I looked at these guys, Tommy Armour and Tim Aaron, that would come in and speak. And I'd be like, what a waste of time. I, you know, I know more than these guys. So I, I try to really make these kids understand that if you just listen to somebody that's been down that road and down that path, it not only is it going to save you a lot of time, but it's going to save you a lot of pain, you know? And I think you, you, men you mentioned expectations. I think that 
that is what most people fail at in life. And that's why they um, are constantly let down and they don't succeed. I, I feel like people set these expectations that are so high and they continually miss and then they almost become defeated. When I decided I was going to you know, lose the weight, now I'm down 70 pounds and I look like a linebacker. Um, I didn't go on any crazy diets. You know, a lot of people do these diets where they last 30 or 60 days and yeah, you can last, you can lose 20 or 30 pounds, but it's not sustainable. So I try to teach these kids, hey, if you've got a scoring average of 74, don't set it at 68 because you're going to continually miss your expectations and then you're going to get discouraged and then it's going to lead down a different path. And um, I think managing expectations in life is, is one of the most undervalued keys that can make you successful. Well, I mean, that's uh, I am so happy to hear you say, you know, some of that stuff and, you know. So it's a twofer, right? I'm a pretty decent golfer, right? I mean, yeah. single digit, right? Um, you know, two, three, four handicap. Uh, my son has, you know, he's surpassed me now, right? And he's playing really good. And you just, as a parent, right? So I'm a parent, but I'm also a good golfer. And it's like, I'm, I'm torn between all of these things. You said you got a son 10, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, you hit these teenage years, you remember what it was like when you're a teenager. Oh yeah. So you're trying to remember these things, and then you think, you know, golf in and of itself is already a mind fuck, if you will, anyway, right? No doubt. And no then doubt. now you're dealing with testosterone, and you're getting your, and you've got all this stuff, and it's like, I, I have to have to keep, you know, reminding myself, like, hey, he's playing a game that is already mentally challenging. He's yeah. dealing with puberty. He's he's grown 18 inches in the last, you know, two and a half years. You know, he's still still continues to grow. You know, you got to have some patience with him, but you know, at the same time, you're a parent and you want him to succeed and you, all these things are are, you know, happening simultaneously and you know, I just wanted to kind of get a little bit of your, you know, uh, feedback and some of the things maybe that you do talk with juniors as you're also a parent to to uh a child as well. Yeah. You know, my boy's 10. He doesn't play any golf. People freak out when I tell them uh, that they're like, how is he not taking lessons or, or playing tournaments? I'm like, well, he's 10 years old and he doesn't want to, he doesn't have any buddies that do it. But you know, when I go te when I go talk to these kids or adults or whatever, whether it's about golf or life um, for me, especially with the kids, you know, everybody swings it a different way, but the right mental approach going back to managing your expectations and course management and, you know, weighing risk versus reward. I think that those are the things that can really separate players um, from an early age. And the hard thing is, is a lot of those kids, 16, 17, they don't want to hear it. They want to go swing for the fences. And the next thing you know, they shoot 77 because they hit a few balls out of bounds because they have an ego that gets in the way. And I think that the faster you can help these kids understand um, and mature mentally, which is so difficult. I mean, I've spent numerous hours with Dr. Bob Rotella and many other sports psychologists trying to get to the point where I am now. Um, and I wish I would have got here earlier, but it's just, uh, golf is hard. Life is hard. It's not all roses and, you know, sunflowers along the way. And especially in golf every week, you know, there's 156 player field. There's only one guy that's a winner. So, everybody's a loser other than that one guy. But if you manage those expectations and you're going into a tournament saying, Hey, a top 30 is a legitimate good finish for me. And you get to that point, you should feel good about yourself. You know, if, if and that's the thing is 
not only in golf and life, but I feel like you got to constantly be meeting expectations in order to build confidence and build yourself up and, and give yourself that little extra confidence that makes the difference. You look at, you know, you look at guys on tour, um, they go on stretches four or five weeks in a row that they play well. Uh, going back to my rookie year, I sat down having breakfast, didn't know anybody, a guy named Steve Jones sits down next to me, won the U.S. Open. And he looked right at me and he said, kid, he goes, I'm going to tell you one thing right now. And I don't even know you. He goes, if you think you're going to be like a Tiger Woods or a Dustin Johnson or any of these guys that plays well every week, you better rethink your life. Um, he says, you're going to play well about four or five weeks out of the year. The majority of guys on tour make their money, 80% of their money and 20% of their events. And I thought to myself, who is this guy? He doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. Well, six years Six full years later on tour, I played well four or five weeks a year, and that's how I made my living, you know. So then not only are you in, you're only enjoying four or five weeks a year while you're getting beat up 20 or 25. So you're constantly having to grind and, and find different ways in order just to keep yourself at a flat line, you know, because otherwise that roller coaster it heads south often and quick. And if if you don't know how to stop that in life and golf and whatever it is you're doing, whether it's alcohol, anything like that, things can get carried away quick. Yeah. Well, Tim, you know, we, we talk about ego a lot, don't we? And how ego can really uh, affect, you know, what it looks like um, and, and how open you can be towards, certain things, right? It is not your friend. That is no. for sure. <laughs> yeah, no Let's doubt. do this. We're going to we got to take a quick break. We'll get back and I want to get into more of uh Early's been doing uh just helping kids. I think that's a really important thing on and and paying it paying it back to the, it to back. the children. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Estate planning. What does that even mean? When the inevitable happens for everyone on this planet, your estate plan kicks into action. But first, let's start with what an estate is. An estate is simply everything you own. Now, here's the issue and what needs to be understood when this event occurs. You only have two choices on this plan. Number one, either you plan how your estate gets handed out and distributed to those you leave behind. Or number two, your state decides who gets everything you own. For the first time ever, you can now take complete and total control of this plan that you've been deprived of for most of your life and generations before you. You can get personalized assistance along the way with a team of specialists whose job it is to make sure you have true peace of mind. It's important to understand that estate planning is a journey and rest assured that our team will be available to you all along the way and at every step. Welcome to eState Plan home of the last estate plan you'll ever need. To learn more, make sure to reach out to your local advisor licensed with us or go to our website for more information. What's up, Enrichers? Tim James here. I'm back with my co-host, Carter Wilcoxon. Today in the house, we've got uh, Charlie Belgian and... Um, Charlie, you were talking about going and, you know, speaking in front of these children. And it sounds like that's something you're pretty passionate about, right? Very passionate. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome because you can relate and you can help them because this is something that's really missing today. Because I've, I've noticed this, like, you know, adults get into a career, they they do their career, whatever, at whatever level they want. And then they get done and hit this retirement age. And then they sit around on their thumbs for a couple of years and they clean up the house and they go play golf and they travel and then they get bored as hell. Yeah. Um, and then they die. 
you know, and so this is what's happening right now. And on the way out, uh, Alzheimer's, dementia, memory loss is, is, is taking hold big time in this country. Uh, cancer, heart attacks, all this stuff is on the rise. COPD, diabetes, blah, 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 blah. So all this stuff is happening. People are losing their minds. And this is like part of the fabric of our society is getting torn apart. The nuclear families are being torn apart literally from the inside out. And, um, you know, when I've studied longevity and stuff around the world, there's these things called blue zones. We've talked about them before. I don't know if you've heard about these, but these are the places around the world where it has the highest demographic of centurions. So the people that live the longest on this planet, there's okay. like Okinawa, Japan, uh, Loma Linda, California, mostly Seventh-day Adventists uh, down there, um, uh, Costa Sardinia, places in Costa Rica, just different places around the world. And there was four common denominators. The number one thing why people live the longest was lifelong friends, mm-hmm. right? And then number two was respecting elders. And so this el- the third piece, just I'll give the four, the third one was 80% plant-based diet or greater. And then number four was um, they move their body every day. So okay. those were the four common denominators of people that live longest. But that second one would be the first one um, was respecting your elders. And it's like now what's happening to our elders is their, their health is so, and their mental clarity, it's all gone. It's being destroyed and they're thrown into nursing homes. People can't handle taking care of full grown adults and stuff yeah. like that. It's too, it's hard. I've seen the dimension, all this stuff. So what's, what's really upsetting is that those older people are there as part of the tribe and mm-hmm. they're part of that glue. And they're the ones that are educating the children with their stories, Right. And everybody loves grandma and grandpa. Like I love my grandma and grandpa. And I was probably more open to my grandma and grandpa and listen to them than my parents. Because my parents tell me what to do and I want to listen. You know, especially when you get to those teenage years, right? So grandma and grandpa weren't there to tell you what to do. They were there to love on you and tell you stories and share and educate people. And I think that's why you're enjoying going around and doing this. You made a statement earlier um, about, you know, helping the kids out. And and, um, I was thinking of a, a wise man learns from others mistakes fools from their own that's what it was a wise man learns from others mistakes fools from your own and so that i thought of that statement you're like look i've already been where you've been i'm better in golf than you were and it's like you need to listen to me like i'm not the time and the pain yeah save you the time and the pain and then yeah it's a very powerful message because drugs are I, i i just don't see like any good happening from drugs i've i've coached over 600 people I've done thousands of health history intakes going through people's issues and their problems. And like, dude, like 50% of people have been molested by family members. It's crazy. I mean, let that sink in. Now people are like paying more attention. I'm like, look, I'm telling you, I know what's going on. I've I've talked to the thread, the fabric of America, and about half these people are being molested by somebody and family members are in there too. And then that movie Sound of Freedom came out recently. Mm-hmm. And it's like now people are kind of waking up. It's like hey, like 2 million children are being abducted every year. It's like they're just disappearing like oh. into the ether. And it's yeah. like, have you guys seen that show? Yes. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I took my son. He's like, well, I don't know if I want to go in afterwards. He's like, Dad, thank you so much. He's 20. Yeah. He's like, thank you so much for taking me there. And we, we I mean... I'm I'm just like I've known about this stuff. I work with Vets for Child Rescue. I donate to them every year. Uh Craig Sawyer put a movie out called Contraland that kind of explains all the same stuff, but it just never got out there. Um this one did. Um and um you know, I'm just like it it really my son was like really motivated to um he's like, "Wow, there really are selfless people out there still." Yeah. 
And he wasn't believing that there really was that many left because of yeah. the view that he's getting from television and social media and all this bullshit. It's like, so it was a very profound thing. And I think that's why it's so important that adults, um, before we lose our brains and if we get healthy, we, we never will. Um, we can get out there and we got to give back. It's, it's necessary. It's very necessary. These kids need us because I mean, otherwise you're, you're you know, our life expectancy right now is dropping. So right now our children are dying younger than us and grandchildren will die younger than us. Us adults, we have failed. We've been, we've gotten fat and lazy. We've set back and we have let other people, um, you know, dictate policy and the school systems went to shit. Oh, the school um, systems. It's pathetic. It really is pathetic. And it's yeah. like the blame is like in the mirror. It's mm-hmm. like when working class people stopped uniting and stopped striking and protesting peacefully um, and just demanding, then we've lost everything. We've lost all the gains that, that people fought for, you know, and we, I was just listening to um, uh, Dr. Shiva the other day. He runs truth, freedom and health. It's a, it's a movement of working class people to, you know, learn engineering system sciences of how you win. Um, and there's, there's ways of doing it. And he was saying that, that uh, you know, in 1776, when we fought and got our freedom, it wasn't until 13 years later that the freedom piece actually kicked in, because there was like 13 years of like still in kind of war area, and like, there's this pushback where the people that you know, the British, uh, the folks, the Blue Bloods and stuff that lost, the Britons lost, they didn't just say we're done, we're out of here. They they kept fighting. It was it was 13 more years of struggle before that that freedom happened, and then you know we've talked about it before, and then. They worked their way back into politics and big business. And there was a new form of slavery in the Industrial Revolution where children were in the workplace. They were working 12, 15, 16 hour days, slave wages. And then the American public started pushing back again. And they started these robust bottoms up movements to push back. And that's what got our infrastructure and cleaned up the water, which in mm-hmm. the, the dead horses and cows out of the water system and got, you know, the sanitation worker in there and the plumber cleaned up the streets of the urine and the feces and, and then 98% of infectious diseases were gone because of that cleanup, not because of big pharma, um, you know, making a synthetic pill. And like, I think it was 1964, the measles vaccine came out, yet 98%, uh, or 1948, 98% of the measles was gone because of the infrastructure put together by working class people saying enough is enough. And so it's really important that working class people give back. And, and do what you do. And like, like you have to get out there and help people. And so does Carter. And so do I, because we're out of the matrix. Yes. We can see clearly, we can articulate and we have platforms like Carter runs successful businesses and he has platforms. I have platforms. I have, uh, you know, a team and I've got uh, a reach and uh, with a couple pod, I do podcast shows all the time. You have your, you know, your golf status and, you know, and, and your ability to reach out and connect with people and help youth in, in your field and stuff like that. So all these talents, I'm speaking to the listeners out there. It's like, if you have any talent at all, which everybody does, you have something special. You need to get out and manifest that. You need to follow your excitement and your joy, and you need to give back. You need to, it's learn, teach, serve, learn, teach, serve. You have to learn things, you teach it, and then you get out in public boots on the ground and serve. That's very important. So anyway, I want to tell that big story because it's like so important in what you're doing. It's a selfless act. You're not doing it for money. Um, are you getting paid to talk to these schools? I'm not. They uh, they'll pay right. for my travel, but no, like yeah, you know, yeah, which is great. Not, yeah, exactly. Like so, you yeah. do it because you want to, and you, you know, you know, it probably could be easier for you to go fishing. Yeah, it'd be easier yeah, to sure go fishing could. or go hang out with your buddies, and you know, now you'd have a lemonade. 
you wouldn't have yep. uh, any beer or nothing. Yep. Um, so did you notice when you now switching topics and Carter, did you want to comment on any of this stuff? I just, no, I just, I just think it is so seriously important. You know, the influence, you know, that, that Charlie has, I just, I, I was so excited about you being on the podcast, Charlie, because I wanted you to be able to share your story and the fact that, you know, you are trying to give back and, but not in a way like, like you didn't have any uh, experience or, you know, um, success at a level And the biggest problem. And you just, you tell me, I, I, I was getting ready to ask you, what type of reception do you get when you're talking to these kids? You're like, Hey, look, I was way better than you did. I mean, are they receptive toward that? Or because, you know, the hardest thing for anybody, especially if you're a teenage kid, right? 14, 15, 16, Absolutely. you know, everything already, right? Absolutely. I, I say it to my wife all the time. My son is amazing. He knows everything and nothing simultaneously. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Yeah. You know, normally like, like last week when I went to Tahoe and spoke to these kids, I always try to hit them with something that's going to shock them. Like I said, boys, why don't you guys look around and there's probably only one or two of you that are ever going to play golf for a living in here. And, uh, and then that kind of grabs their attention. But afterwards, um, whether the kids come up on their own or their coaches make them come up, they come up, they're very grateful. Um, a small percentage of them will ask a few more questions. And, you know, my speech ended at, at 630 last week. I was there till nine o'clock answering questions. But that was only for, you know, six, seven, eight of the kids, not 80 of them. You know, the other ones, they're gone. They're on their phone. And and I think, well, the phones have turned into just a nightmare um, and back to parenting. And, you know, a lot of these parents now just give them the tablet, tell them to go sit in their room. And then that's all they do. And then gosh knows what kind of information they find out on their own. But um, you can kind of tell, you know, when you hit home with some, one of these kids, uh, you can tell in their eyes and then they kind of get a little excited. And as a matter of fact, I just had a kid that I met last week in the Arizona open. He said, Hey, I got the Arizona amateur coming up this week. I think you could really help me. So I went out and played with him at Ancala this week and we had three and a half hours to ourselves. He asked a million questions. Now I'm scrolling the leaderboard, checking how he's doing because I want to send him a text, you know, tell him, hey, great playing or hey, what went wrong? What can we work on? And so if you are, I'm more than happy to, to take my time and my energy to share my story and help out, but I'm not going to really go above and beyond that. I'll put myself out there, but boy, if you ask a question or you reach back out, I will go to the ends of the earth to do whatever I can to give you the information that I think will help benefit you. Yeah. And you speak, you come from a point of experience too. And it was yeah. a point like, like you've been there, done that, that whole like, Hey, yeah. been there, done that. Yeah. Bought the yeah. t-shirt. Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, that, that's Charlie Belgian, right? So, you know, I know that we're getting ready. We're coming up against the clock here. Um, but the, well, the, I got a question for Charlie. So knowing what you know now, and I know you can't go back and you, you well, huh, that's a spiritual question, but you, you, the past doesn't exist and neither does the future. And all we have is the mm -hmm. present moment. But let's say you had the ability to do this and you could go back through and not do any drugs and you were really into health um what do you think that would have done differently in your career as a golfer well i don't know what it would have done differently but i can tell you uh i am going to go give it another whirl i'm going to go back to q school this year um and try to get my card back because i am very intrigued and interested to see I, I played against the best players in the world as a massive alcoholic and uh, did myself an extreme disservice. And 
I hated the travel. I hated being away from my son. Well, now I've been home for five years. I've gotten my life figured out. And luckily in golf, uh, our windows are big. I mean, I'm 38 years old. I could go, you know, I could wait for the senior tour when I'm 50, but there's so much life between now and 50 that I'm really interested to see what I can do um, being sober and being healthy. I mean, just, just the way my body moves now and doesn't ache and it doesn't hurt and the clarity in my brain, because I eat right. And I take, you know, a couple different vitamins. When I look back, boy, you know, I, I think the highest I got to was 52nd in the world. And, you know, that was drinking 15 or 20 beers a night before I was playing <laughs> against these guys, man. You're like Babe Ruth, so, dude. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, out till three in the morning and on the tee box at seven and still half cashed. And um, so now I'm really excited and I've, I've put my focus and my energy to doing that. And I'm really excited because if I can get back out there um, to be able to have that platform to share my story and to help so many others is, is you know, I 50 percent want to do it for me. And to see what I'm capable of. Uh, and the other 50%, I want to do it because I really feel that I could help so many more people, especially in the sports world and the general population. Mental health is so terrible right now for so many people. And I, I've been at that level. I've, I've sat there with a gun in my lap and I've in college, I took a bunch of painkillers trying to do it. I've been there. I've done that. And I don't want anybody to have to go through that. And if I could help one person avoid that nasty spiral and uh, black hole that you go down, man, it would be worth every bit of it, uh, work and effort and hours and time and energy that I got to put into it. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm, I'm actually really excited right now um, for you. I, I want to I help you. Um, I, we should talk afterwards after this thing's done. I'd like to be a part of your comeback to help you rank well, higher you. than you ranked before. and. Um, and be able to tell that story and put it out. So yeah. I've got another guy right now who's um, he's in his forties and he's going to start training again for full tilt MMA because he's one of the, he's a wow. friend of mine and he's, he's a badass. And he was a state yeah. champion, Texas wrestler in high school. He's a former Marine special forces and MMA fighter. And then he got into just making money and raising kids. And I was like, you know what? He goes, I think I'm going to get a belt when I'm 50. And this is a guy that like, you don't, I mean, I, I feel like I'm pretty tough, but the most, I just, I, I'll run. Like I see him. I'm like, I'm just going to take my chances and run as fast as I can. Hope this big son bitch don't catch me. Yeah. Right. Because it, it's crazy. I've, cause I started doing jujitsu a couple months ago and he just, we were just hand fighting while we were waiting in the line at the fair. And I'm just like, Oh shit. Like, yeah. like this guy could break your arm in like a nanosecond type stuff. Right. right. Without any, with no effort. So, but the, the, the point is like, I love helping. I'm, I, there's a, a major league baseball player that I coach right now and he's uh, from injuries and he's coming back and he's just blowing gas and mowing everybody down. And, and, um, I like I'm really like the comeback kid. I love being part of those stories. My favorite quote that I read is that I'm starting over, but I'm starting over with experience. And that puts me so far ahead of anybody else. That's just starting fresh. And these kids, um, I'm starting over but I'm starting with experience. And I think that that is invaluable. Love yeah. It. Yeah. And then when you get older, you just start shedding the ego too. And you're just like, you know, you're, you're finding, you're tapping more into your purpose. So it becomes bigger than just like, Oh, I'm going to go out and I'm going to win and make a bunch of money and all this. And it's like, Oh, look at me. And it's like, you don't give a shit about that stuff anymore. It's no, like, it's just, 
I've been, uh, I used to have a, a monster ego for many reasons, but these last three years, I've never been so humbled, but I've also never felt such peace in my life. And it's weird how those two coincide. And when you get rid of that ego, the peace, the enjoyment. Um, so I, I've, I've got so many wonderful things ahead of me that I'm looking forward to and, and excited about. That's awesome. So you've tapped into unconditional love, which is our true nature. That is, uh, a very special thing. It's happening. It's popping like popcorn over the world right now. As uh, we have a lot of struggle out there, so it's good to see yeah. that things are changing. Um, I've seen that all over the world, uh, places that I've been, especially even over here in Eastern Oregon. Like the amount of awareness that's happening, people are. It, there's a shift happening. So okay. I want to thank you for loving yourself and doing what you're doing. Um, I know that we still have another set session, but I'm just uh, really proud of you. All right. Yeah, so what you. we're going to do is we're going to take another break. When we get back, we'll wrap up with our guest, Charlie Belgian, and we will be right back. You want the absolute best for yourself, and you want it to be easy. That's why we created Green 85. It helps with detoxifying the body gently. We're proud it's chemical-free, unlike almost all other supplements you'll find. Bottom line. Green 85 will get you healthier. We look forward to hearing what Green 85 did for you. To get this product and our other amazing products, go to chemicalfreebody.com. That's chemicalfreebody.com. What's up, and Richards? Tim James here. I'm back with my co-host, Carter Wilcoxon. All right, Charlie, this is the section where we typically flip the script, so we're going to do it again. You're getting, And you get to ask me any question uh, about anything health-related that comes to your mind. Uh, go ahead. As I've said earlier, I've lost a bunch of weight. I literally, I spend three hours in the gym a day. I, I, I lift for an hour. I walk for an hour. I stretch and sauna for an hour every day, 8 to 11. Nothing gets in the way of that. Going to the diet earlier, you said when you're talking about the the blue zone of places where people live the longest, you brought up a plant based diet, and there's so much controversy right now and uh, argument ar arguing about plant based versus uh, you know meat eaters, and I'm just wondering why you would say plant based and what is the benefits of plant based over eating meat and steak, like every meal I have chicken or steak, and I couldn't imagine not having that. And then you go plant-based and you think back to our ancestors and they ate a little bit of everything, um, not all this processed GMO garbage that we eat now. And so I'm, I'm wondering, are you a total plant-based guy or do you do a little bit of both? And if you are totally plant-based, why? <laughs> Great question, man. Easy question, but I'll okay. give you a big answer. Okay. So what I was citing was just data that had been gathered from the blue zones, the people that lived the longest. They had 80% plant-based diet or greater, which means they ate at least 80% plant material by weight and 20% was meat. Okay. okay. So that's what it was. It's 80, it was okay. 80, 20 80, or greater. 20. Some, some of them ate more like the Seventh-day Adventist out of Loma Linda. They're completely plant-based. Okay. Well, they say they are. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know I know some of them they're not they're they're not following along right so just like with a lot of religions they don't follow along all the way sometimes right but whatever okay I guess that's part of the human in us so with that said I mean it, it, the deal of it is is like there's a preponderance of evidence out there like there's a, there's something called the China study 
The China study was the largest uh, gathering of information and data on human beings on nutrition in the history of the world. It'll probably never happen again. So the emperor of China, I can't remember what the dude's name was, but he was dying of cancer. And so he literally commissioned 600,000 Chinese workers to gather data and try to save his own life. So he had over a half a bill, almost half a billion people working for him, <laughs> trying wow. to figure this out. And they're going to all the provinces and they're they're finding out what everybody's eating and categorizing, er- categorizing herbs and all this kind of stuff. And brrr, they brought it back and it all led to, you know, more. And again, for those of you that are listening, stick around. Don't hang up if I'm not trying to tell you, you got to put meat away forever. OK, I'm just relaying the story, but I'm building a foundation here. Right. And so. Uh, Cause I eat a little bit of meat from time to time now too. So it's not a big deal. All right. So they, they did all this research and um, well, the guy ends up finally dying because they, they couldn't figure it out ahead in, enough time or whatever. But what the Chinese population did before McDonald's headed over there and started creating obesity and stuff is they ate almost all plants. And the key is, is that it's fresh food. Right. And right. then they had, they used meat as a little bit, but it's more as flavoring. Okay. So again, it was like more of more of plants and stuff like that. There's also other things that you'll see in some of these movies like Forks Over Knives where wartime would happen and the soldiers would come in and they would people would scurry from their houses. They would take all their poultry, their chickens, their lambs, all the stuff and their cows and just take them and they would eat them themselves or use them or whatever. And so the, the peasants that were living there, the people in these lands, the common citizens, they were forced to live off the land and eat plants. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting is as that happened, um, all their, their heart disease, their cancer rates, all this stuff just dropped. And then when they, when the meat, the animals came back, all their disease rates went back up. So I could keep building a case to eat plants, mm-hmm. but what I, what I teach people now in my coaching program is not like I used to be the food Nazi. I don't do that anymore. Right. We work on the foundation first and the foundation is, is things that are, it's even before diet. It's like, we have to detox your digestive tract. We have to clean up your digestive tract, like literally. And we have to clean up your cells and we have to clean up your fat and your muscle tissue. And your fat tissue also includes the glial cells in your brain. We have to clean this shit up because you have bioaccumulated these toxins in your lifetime and there's no way around it. All the umbilical cord studies show that every child being born has hundreds of cancer causing chemicals in the womb. Now, you and I have been around the earth a lot longer. We've had more time to bioaccumulate these toxins. There's more of them in us. These are breaking down our immune system. They're impeding recovery and power and energy and strength and vitality. So we have to, our first job is cleaning up the mess and then nutrifying the body and reducing stress. It's a three prong approach. It works every freaking time with everybody at some level. Uh, I don't promise people complete full recoveries, even though we've seen all that kind of stuff. I'm not a doctor, don't claim to be, but I understand how nature works and how the body works and our bodies are nature, right? So when when I'm working with somebody, and they come in like, well, what are you going to, what am I going to eat? What am I going to eat? I'm like, don't worry about that right now. We're going to get the foundation in place first. Now, let's say the foundation's in place. And you're like, Tim, what do I eat? Okay. What we're going to do is we're going to work on your diet, your lifestyle, and find out what works for Charlie. Mm-hmm. Because everybody is different. Okay. Yeah. There are some people that are, they're so toxic and they have so much crap in their body. And they're so long-term nutrient deficiencies. And I can't tell you how many times with long-term nutrient deficiencies and stress and um, pollution, uh, this is where pet allergies, seasonal allergies, food allergies come from. Now, there's a small group of people that the food allergies are so pervasive that the only things they can eat right now are clean meat. Right. Because if they eat any vegetables, it's going to F them up. It's just going to right. do that. 
So in those situations, if that's what works for you now, then you need to do that. But we can work on it and modify it because you, you have to understand that, you know, if you look back for the entirety of time we walked on this planet, we were eating, you know, take away, you know, guns and, and bow and arrows and all that stuff. I mean, it's like go out in nature and try to catch an animal. It ain't easy. Right? <laughs> they're faster than you. They can see better than you. They can hear better than you. Yeah. They can smell better than you. And they want to get the hell out of there or they're going to eat you. Some of them will. Yeah. Right. So go out and try to do that. It's not that easy. So most of your time you're going to be eating leaves and berries and roots and tubers. And just as an example. Inside of our stomach, we have 25 bitter receptors, one sweet receptor. So inside of our stomach, 25 bitter receptors and one sweet receptor. Using common sense, what does that tell us? Well, we should probably be eating bitters. Mm -hmm. We are programmed for these things. We have 25 of those receptors, so we should eat way more, 25 times more bitters than sweets. What are bitters? Arugula, kale, uh, spinach, um, and certain you know leafy greens, dandelions, and stuff like that. And dandelion is... One of the things we put in our, like I said, our Green 85 product is an example. So bitters are very important. So we look at things as a fundamental level and a base level. I don't care about what people's theories are. There's a lot of marketing going on out there. Yeah. A lot of marketing. People aren't aware of many of the things behind the scenes that's actually happened that I've been privy to from being in this industry now for 12 years and being like a Sherlock Holmes and trying to get to the truth of things. It's like the paleo diet. Do you guys know where that came from? I don't. That was marketed and funded and marketed by the Cattlemen's Association. Really? It was a marketing plan. I like drink right? milk, right? Yeah. Yeah. At Michael Jordan, Shaquille O'Neal, you know, milk mustache, right? Drink your milk for strong bones, strong, healthy bones. Yet it's the exact opposite. When you drink from the breasts of a cow, which is another species, it has a protein in it called casein, which is a known mm -hmm. carcinogen cancer causer. And you only baby cows have it, a substance called renin to break that, that protein down. We don't have renin in our stomach. So it's not just African-American people. It's all people. We are all lactose intolerant at some level because we don't have renin in our stomach. In fact, even the adult cows don't drink adult cow breast milk. They don't do it because they wean and they go to grass. And so we as adults... We're the only species that drinks from the breast of another animal. And why cows? How come not giraffes or lions or rats? It's because cows are very big and they've been, they're docile and they've turned them into a machine and they're very easy to take advantage of. That's why they do it. So it's for production. And the dairy industry wouldn't even be alive and neither would the meat industry without subsidies, aka stealing our money through taxes to subsidize mm -hmm. these industries to keep them alive. Give you an example. Meat, a $5 hamburger that you pay for at xyz restaurant it actually costs 13 dollars to get it to you the other eight dollars is picked up by our taxes that we pay but people don't understand this stuff so there's like there's it's bizarro world things are going weird now with all that said um what i do with people is like if somebody is like totally carnivore and it's this is very rare for these people doing this but if they're totally carnivore um they usually have a lot of they've got they have it's long-term nutrient deficiency so we start yeah. um cleaning them up and remineralizing their body. And then we start adding in plants-based uh, sources as we can, usually in um, certain concentrated forms. Um, and then eventually I've seen people that have had, you know, 30 allergies to food for 20 years. In a year and a half, two years, they can eat all those Gone. foods again. Yeah. They can eat all those foods again. We're trying to bring the body back to balance. So when it comes to meat versus plants and all that stuff, the first thing is not meat versus plants or plant versus meat. The key, the first thing is fresh. Right. You want to get the freshest food that you possibly can. And I'm also a chef and I know this as a chef, 
if you want people to like your food, fresh food. Yep. Have you guys ever caught, have you ever caught a salmon and ate it right there on the bank? No. As a matter, my, matter of fact, my son just got back from Canada and brought a uh, hundred pounds of cod home. And the cod that we cooked and ate was the best cod that I had ever had. And the most wild thing about it was, is there was no fishy smell. Like when you would buy, uh, you know, cod in a store and then cook it, the whole house stinks. You got to turn on the fan. We're cooking this fish and there's just no smell. And that's the difference between the fresh. I mean, for me, like if you look at people, uh, from the 60s and 70s on a beach, everybody was skinny. And now, gosh, what, 60% of our population is probably obese. And going back to government, all they're 80. doing, eight, okay, 80, 80% is overweight, obese, and morbidly obese. It's it's the, pretty sad. It's it's pretty sad. And, you know, so that's, that's a, a lack of discipline. But it's also when you're being pushed all this stuff by the government, they're doing it to keep you sick, to where big pharma can then push the synthetic pills down your throat and everybody's making money. And it's just a, a vicious cycle. But for me, since I quit out, you know, I've gotten into the seed oil stuff and I still I still eat a a couple of them. But for me, I've I've really noticed that I eat the same six or seven things seven days a week. And once I got to that level and then you can start to to manage things like if I up my carbs a little bit, you know, because I want to have a better workout and I, I really have have learned that the body is so important and that the gut health, gosh, if your gut health is good, it eliminates so many problems right out of the gate. And I think that that sauna has been a huge thing. I mean, that that's a 40% reduction in all cause mortality just by doing it three times a week. Um, so there's just so many things that we can do, but we're not taught these things because then we're going to be healthy and nobody's going to make any money, you know, by, yep. by keeping us sick. And it's just, it's sad, but it's life is, I always tell people life is hard enough. And now we got to fight these son of a bitches on the government around every corner. And it's just like, it's, it's exhausting, man. And especially for somebody that just sits there on the couch and watches, you know, the MSN and and the mainstream media, it's really shocking the information that they feed you. And I can get so fired up watching it. The fact that I don't even watch it. And I think that anybody that's listening, like if you want the real truth, in my opinion, you just open up a Twitter account and you will be shocked at the world that what reality is and what we think the world actually is. They're just so different and it's it's so sad, but the nutrition part has just been a, a huge thing, not only for mental clarity. And now, you know, if I, If I, I'm a sugar freak and I'm trying to kick that habit right now, but boy, if I go two or three days without sugar, how much more energy and clarity and, and confidence really, um, I have is, is just shocking, but people, I have a a test for you. I have a test for you. So, you know, there's probably a 50 to 60% chance you have candida albicans. You can, it's a yeast overgrowth. My son is actually, he's on, he has two more days left of this medicine to clear up that candy. Okay, so unfortunately, the medicine he's taken is pharmaceutical stuff. It has side effects. Okay, so we can okay. do this without it completely easy. Okay. Um, it was it's been a bastard for me for a long time coaching people because it's just tough because you know the the protocols from where I learned it from was get people off of sugar for at least ninety days. And I'm like, okay, you're doing cocaine. I just if you just stop doing cocaine for ninety days, I mean, we'll fix this problem. Like, okay, right. I'll just quit. You know. And, and sugar actually is almost exact same molecule structure as, as cocaine. Right. It's ex- exactly, it's just like one little thing off. It's almost the exact same structure as cocaine, but it's three times more addictive as cocaine. So here's the problem. This yeast gets overgrown and it hi- hijacks your vagus nerve and it starts steering your brain. 
Like literally, it'll, it'll road rage you across traffic to go get banana nut loaf at Starbucks like it used to do to me. Okay, true story. <laughs> I've done this many times. To, I gotta get, I gotta get sugar, and um, I'd become a sugar addict, right? And that's when my health was failing, all this stuff. So, what you do tomorrow when you wake up before you eat or drink or anything, you can go to the bathroom if you want to, but do not put anything in your mouth. Fill up a glass jar about half full, and then just work up a quarter to dime size spit and spit in the glass. Set it down. Go about your morning, take your supplements, do your thing, your water, lemon water, whatever you do, and then come back in about 30 minutes and look at it. If it's floating on top, that's good. If it grows legs downwards or sinks to the bottom, you have candida albiquins. And you need to do this six days in a row. And if six days in a row it floats on the top all days, you don't have it. Uh, we're pretty good at that. But if, okay. if any one of those days it grows legs downwards or sinks to the bottom, you got candida. And then we have very simple protocols to help you. Um, knock it out without knocking out your good bacterium in your body, which hopefully you're, uh, you mentioned you're probably working hard to build that up. We can show you how to build that up and strengthen it, but you don't even have, we just say, can you just reduce your sugar, do your best in reducing it, but we're going to hammer it with a tool that we have that just basically rips apart the exoskeleton of it and just kills it. And I, we've had some severe overgrowth of people where they have like, if you look in their colon, their colons are white or yellow or both because really? the yeast can get so overgrown in their bodies. Um, it, it can happen and this will eventually take your life. It's not something to mess around with and you want to get on it immediately. And, um, your son's really going to need, now that he's on those pharmaceutical drugs. We would have like, if I, he needs a protocols, like lots of culture, certain types of cultured foods and bacterium and stuff like this to, uh, start recolonizing his gut. We can help with all that too. So I would, I would love to learn more about that. You know, uh, about eight years ago, maybe about nine years ago, this is when I first had my aha with, you know, maybe these doctors and these medicines are garbage. I got Valley fever. You know what Valley fever is? I've heard of it, but. Okay. So it's real prevalent in Arizona. It's a, it's a spore that you inhale. Most people that are born and raised in Arizona don't get it, but then it goes in and it scars your lungs. So I, I kept getting sick and I went in and they said, well, you either have Valley fever, or you have lung cancer. And at the time I was a smoker. So I was like, son of a gun. So for a year, I didn't drink any booze. And I took fluconazole per the doctor's deal. And it's real hard on your kidneys and that. So every month I had to go in and I had to get my blood drawn, do all that big process. Everybody's making money. I'm playing in a golf tournament this one time. This guy says, let's get a beer. I said, hey, I can't drink right now because I'm taking this fluconazole. I have valley fever. And he said, you just started laughing. And I said, well, what's funny? And he said, I had valley fever as well, but I wasn't willing to give up the drinking to take the medicine. I said, okay. I said, well, what'd you do? And he said, uh, he said, I went and I, I, I did some research and I went and I bought boi uh, oil of oregano. Mm -hmm. So on the way home, I stopped at the health store. I bought oil of oregano. Now, I've been going to the doctor for a year, blood test every month for a year. I took this oil of oregano for one week, five drops in the morning, five drops in the afternoon. I went back in and got tested and it was all gone just like that. And so since then, I know, you know, uh, oil of oregano has so many different benefits from cancer properties and, and gut and stuff like that, that I take it daily. Is that something that would be, that could beat the, is it candida? Candida. Yeah. It's called candida albicans. Okay. Um, we used to, I mean, I love essential oils. I love oregano. I love basil. I love cinnamon. I love eucalyptus. I love tea tree. These things are powerful, but we also have powerful. to be very careful because you can also destroy some of your gut microbiome with them. So the oil of oregano is not something I would recommend to do on the daily. It'd be 
short okay. burst if you need it. But like I said, we have another, we have a silver product that's so profound that you can drink gallons of it and it won't, it, it's, it's a whole, it's just a whole different tool. And it's, okay. it's lovely because it doesn't disrupt the gut microbiome and you right. can actually take it orally, which prior to this product that we found, all the silvers we had people putting up the nose so it could get into the bloodstream through the cardiovascular system and not disrupt gut microbiome. I'm gut focused and cellular focused when I'm working with clients. So, okay. yeah, but um, definitely it's, it just goes to show you that it's a much better tool than what, you know, the op the option is where you're taking something that's 90% chance of side effects at some level now or later. All right. Another question for you. So now that I don't drink anymore, my drink of choice used to be Bacardi and diet. Um, now that I don't drink anymore, I rarely have a diet Coke or a Coke zero, but when I do, it's, it's my treat, you know, I get it in a short glass, crushed ice, put a lime in it. And that's kind of my, oh, the day's over. That's kind of what I do. Now I know that it's got aspartame and I know how terrible that is for you, but if you do a regular one, you're cranking back 50 grams of sugar. So which one is worse? Obviously the ideal thing would be to cut both of them out. Uh, you know, I understand that, but it, what's your priority it, in your life, Charlie, with your health my priority in my life now is my health. Yeah. So I just answered my own question, but if we continue <laughs> down, if we, if we continue down this, but Tim, I really one, want to eat, drink one of them sons of bitches. <laughs> I know. I know. You know what it is? It's because there's, uh, it's the emotionality of it. And I okay. think that, that's where, that's where the focus would be. Cause when I first got into this industry, I'm like, Oh, I changed my diet and I cleaned up my gut and I restored my bacteria and I'll help everybody else do it. But you forget that like there's this thing called emotions, right? And these emotions um, go back to, can go back to childhood, like where your mom made you some food and maybe you had a distraught relationship with your mother. And maybe that's the, the one thing that kind of, you know, you remember those, maybe she's passed away now, or maybe she's a strength or whatever. There's, or you just don't see your mom, but it could be the, the, the foods that mom and grandma made you. And it's just those smells and it brings back okay. certain things, right? So there was a time in your life where you had success with golfing and you were drinking. And so it's probably, there's, there's like a feel good. There's a safety layer there. When you put that drink in your hand, it's not just the, the, it could be part of the flavor and all that other stuff. But it's it's a habitual thing, and there's emotional um, stress reliever because you use booze for years to reduce your stress. Yep, use booze, so it's still there a little bit. And I think what's happening is that there's it's a little bit of a test. It's the universe testing you to see if like do you still need this anymore um, or not. And it's like okay. you're going to get to the point where you're going to realize that you don't need anything. Right, you need nothing. Like you can, you are completely happy with nothing. Take away your house, your cars, your, take your clothes off. You literally have everything you need. And when you can get to that point, you'll be able to, that stuff will just fall away from you. Mm -hmm. And you're going to become, your emotional strength is going to become even better because you don't need it. And it'll be like an island and you've, you're like trying to go through the waves right now. You know, it's trying to get off. But as soon as you get through the waves, you start sailing. You're like, oh, maybe I should go back to the, to the island, but there's nothing there. You got to get off that island. And finally you get so far away that you're like, you know what? I don't need it. I, I'm, I'm going this way now. And it's a whole okay. new direction, right? Okay. Because whether it's sugar feeding your candida or it's as aspartame giving you cancer, neither one of those work towards what your true natural self is, unconditional love. It's somebody that has unconditional love for themselves and wants to permeate that to other people doesn't put toxic poisons in their body. They just don't do it when they have that awareness. Does okay. that make sense? Perfect sense. Awesome.
trying to think if I got any other ones. What do you got, Carter? Well, no. So, the, you know, <laughs> one of the things I was going to actually uh, ask, this isn't really even health related necessarily, but um, well, let me just, I will say this. It was my aha moment with Tim. This is months ago now, right? We've been, this is episode number I don't know, 85 or something like that. But I remember Tim saying to one of our guests on there, he asked a question about, or he started talking about how the problem is you don't make your health a priority. And I got to that thinking to myself, I'm like, you know what? I'm so not making it a priority, right? So I got the sauna that we've got. So we've got, I have a like a personal sauna that, you know, Tim sells. I'm like, I got to get me one of these saunas. I'm doing that every single day, right? You know, 12 to 18 minutes every single day. We've got our home gym. But that whole like him saying that to the guest about, well, are you making your health a priority? And if you're just being honest with yourself, you're just like, no, I'm not. No. Making it. But if you make it a priority, yeah, then, then it'll absolutely. And it doesn't matter what it is, right? Is golf a priority? Does that mean you get out there and you do the things that you need to do in order to get better, right? You mentioned it earlier. We we're talking about golf. Golf is, you know, they say it's like 80% metal. I think golf is 98% metal. I right? would agree. Yeah. So, so I'm sitting here trying to get my son to be like, well, you got to work 98% on your middle part. Forget about getting balls on the range and beating balls. And, you know, of course you've got to have the skills or whatever, but once you've got the skills, you got to work on the brain. You got to work on yeah. the mind. And you have to make it a priority, right? Conscious effort. Yeah. Right, exactly. When you prioritize your health or whatever energy you're putting towards, right? Then anything, you can accomplish anything. So I, that, I guess I just wanted to, to bring that up. But the other thing uh, that I was going to ask in the previous segment is, I think it's critically important. And you did mention a little bit, you brought into the conversation, your wife about being a realtor. Share a little bit about, how critically important support of your wife has been during your journey over these last few years? Well, the main reason I probably did it was for her. Um, she is one of the most amazing women that I've ever met. She's from Croatia. So their culture and their family is so tight knit. And I didn't really have a super close family growing up. So that's something that I've really come to appreciate when I met her. She was, uh, she's a health, a health nut. She, everything is, healthy. She's working out. So she, she's kind of got me down that, but you know, with her, it started out, um, when I decided I was going to do this, she didn't think I was going to make it two days, much less now, almost three years. But what she did and what I really think helped is when I first started, it was every week we had a little, we went to a little dinner or a little something to celebrate one week. And then you know, we, we, we didn't do it for weeks all the time. And then we went to a month and then we went to each quarter. And what she did is really showed me appreciation and love and support along the way. And not just, you know, Hey, good job or whatever, but she went out of her way to, to make an effort to show me that she cared and showed me that the effort that I was putting in was being acknowledged. And, um, you know, if it wasn't for her and my son, I probably, I probably would have fallen off the wagon for sure. But, um, the pedestal that I hold those two on because of how they've supported me and how they stuck by my side, um, through the hell that I put them through, um, it has just, 
I, I couldn't have done any of this without her. And um, she's recently introduced me to faith in about the last six, eight, 10 months. She used to always just go to a church by herself because I didn't want to go. That wasn't my jam. Um, and now, boy, I can't. Now I'm going to a men's group on a Wednesday and I'm going to church on a Sunday and I'm watching YouTube videos about it while I'm, while I'm working out. And uh, she has just shown me so many different aspects of life that have done nothing that more than benefit me. She hasn't, there's, there's nothing that she's ever done or shown me that's, that's taken me a step back. Everything is leaps and bounds forward from where I was. And she's just an amazing woman. And I'm, I'm so lucky to have her in my life. And like I said, I, I wouldn't have been able to do this journey uh, as smoothly as I have without her. But I think it is the constant I'm a pat on the on the back person. I like having, you know, I like getting patted on the back and and the constant uh the monthly dinners or something and just the appreciation that she shows me for the the battle that I'm I continue to win is, is something that has really made it much easier and and much more enjoyable along this this path. Yeah, so your love language is uh is affirmation then. Uh, yeah, affirmation and touch for sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Hey, one more question um, on the health. What about smoking pot? Oh, what do you think? Uh, <laughs> I, I, thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoy it. Um, and I've even I've even uh, dabbled in the microdosing and the mushrooms. Sure. Um, and I, I thoroughly enjoy that, too. Do I enjoy, I don't you know, I don't take it off the off, off the wall every single time. Uh, but you know, a little microdose here or that, but I do every night I, uh, I, I get high and I watch the sun go down or after my, my kid goes to bed, I, I like to take a little hit and just, um, why I don't know, is it the best thing for my health? I'd probably say no. So again, I answered my own question, but overall, <laughs> overall, I mean, would you say that pot's better than alcohol? Well, from a system standpoint, again, uh, doc, if you want to look this up, Dr. Shiva Ayaduri has done a biological engineering systems breakdown on marijuana, and his sister was a big pothead. Um, here's the deal. From the people in this, okay, there's people like him, my mentor, Dr. Treadway. Um, there's certain people that are, and I'm working my way into this, that they're so tapped into their own body and, and through their meditation practice, they've raised their vibrational frequency so much that they're literally stoned 24 seven. Okay. And I don't mean like, like they're just high on life. Like high literally life. it's, I'm not, yeah. it's not cliche. It's not cliche. It's like, I mean like even Dr. Shiva, he can smoke, he's tried other stuff. And he can't, it doesn't even affect him because we can actually control our body's chemistry. We can literally do this. So this is the, I, I as I built my build, my body and then which got me out of being a financial advisor, like Carter was, and now I'm a health advisor. I'm basically a general contractor of health. Now I help people put their teams together. And then we help people with fundamental things. We have our little sweet spot that we do things. But it's like I, I'm the next part of the field for me. And I know it in my heart and my soul is like it's the spiritual, mental, uh, emotional component. It's such the big part of this. And like through meditation, you can you can basically heal yourself. I mean, you can create okay. chemistry in your body and all this stuff. So everything you're trying to what you're doing is when you smoke weed. Um, it's fun. I mean, it's, it's, it's really fun and it's fast. It's like, boom, bang and boom, yeah. you're there. Right. So, yeah. um, the question is, is like, maybe like, how can I feel that good all the time? 
without it? How, what can I do with that? So I'll give an example. So um, I was uh, exposed to ayahuasca and I did that a couple of mm-hmm. times. Freaking game changer. I freaking loved it. Um, I've, I've done microdosing of mushrooms. I haven't done a full mushroom trip. Um, I have this gourmet vegan chocolate bar sitting over here with okay. some of the badass mushrooms in it. Yeah. And probably plan. I was going to do it last summer and I'm going to do it this summer. I did, you guys just remind me like, Oh shit, I still, I need to go do that. And, um, I know exactly where I'm going to do it. Um, I'm not sure if I'm gonna do it with somebody else or myself, maybe you should have somebody there. Cause I don't know. But, yeah. um, what, what these things are, Charlie is their tools, their tools and these tools like mushrooms. Now, if you microdose, that's different, but if you're doing a full trip or if you're doing like ayahuasca and I would say even marijuana, um, they allow you to feel a certain vibrational frequency. So you can actually experience that in this three-dimensional uh, vehicle that you have here, your body. Now, what and that's good, but they shouldn't be something that should be abused, especially with alcohol. Alcohol actually works the same way as ayahuasca. It, it drops down all the societal conditioning, all the parental conditioning, and people are themselves. Like Revenge of the Nerds, perfect example. They're sitting on both sides. Nobody's doing nothing. All of a sudden, they smoke some weed, and they're having a party, right? right? Because people drop their inhibitions, and people want to have so much fun. It's society's conditioning that's got us shrouded in these egos, and people are so fearful, and it drops all that stuff. Now, the problem with alcohol is that you forget, and you don't even know how you got there. So you have to go back to the alcohol to get in that state again, whereas it's a little different with, with ayahuasca and mushrooms, and I would say even with weed, because you can remember what it was like. So if you use this as a tool to experience the vibrational frequency so you can get there easier, that would be good. But it's not something that should be used on the daily. My mentor, Dr. Treadway, said, when you take ayahuasca or do mushrooms, he's like, that's like sticking a crowbar and cracking open your pineal gland. It's a little okay. rough, which is the connection to God, right? Which yeah. is what you're, you're any, anytime man is going towards God in any form is a great thing. Mm-hmm. And so, but he said the exact same thing can be accomplished through meditation. The exact same thing, but it takes more, it takes more work and it takes more time, right? So he goes, you have to understand, do you want quick fix um, or do you want the long-term? Like, and he was one of the happiest people. And he, he was so excited to go meditate every day in his 70s. So excited to meditate. Wow. Couldn't wait to do it. And he's like, oh, Tim, I just, I got to get my meditation. And he goes, I was like, okay, well, I'll get dinner about an hour. He's like, yeah, about an hour. And finally, like, you know, I'm making this awesome dinner. I got everything timed out and, and where's he at? And he's in there and like, should I wake him up? What's he doing? You know, like, and then part of me is like, I'm pissed because it's like, but like, I love him. So I can't be mad at him. And it's like, uh, and he finally comes out after two hours. I'm like, how do you feel? He's like, boy, do I feel good. You know, it was just, he was in there meditating for two hours and tapping into God. And so, um, what I would say about the marijuana thing is it's completely a choice. And, you know, you have to look at it. If I was going to do marijuana, I would suggest that somebody not smoke it because when you smoke it, you're putting uh, smoke in your lungs. And mm-hmm. I don't know anybody that would stick their head over a burning trash can or into a forest fire. It's just not something right. animals run away from that shit. Yeah. Um, so I would, number one, I wouldn't smoke it. I would consume it mm-hmm. and I would put it in something that's healthy and I would do it from time to time. If I was going yeah. to do it, it might not be a daily. Now, if I was, if I had sick and I had cancer and I was, uh, nauseous. It's amazing for that. Right. It's one of the best medicines to help people not feel sick and get their appetite back. To heal. Uh, amazing. Okay. And I've actually I, a colonel from the Air Force. Like I know him. He won't. 
come on my show because he doesn't want to give up his pension. He's afraid about it. But he went from busting people. Now he used he healed himself of stage four cancer with it uh, using the Rick Simpson oil stuff. Now he makes it for other people and grows it organically. So if he was going to do it, I would try to get it as natural as possible. Not super hybrid, not 20 percent or 30 percent. I'd probably get like 10 or 12. And then I would put it in some edibles and I'd make my shit myself or find somebody that's making it. And I would take it that way. So I'm not putting smoke in my lungs on the daily because that's right. causing a lot of um, oxidative stress on the body and kind of free radical damage. Which, you know, um, that's going to make you age and and uh, possibility of, you know, you mentioned cancer earlier and stuff like that. So we just have to be smart about this stuff. But the, the solution is really us falling in love with ourselves again and like and just peeling away those clouds of doubt and society and parental stuff and allowing that unconditional love that's always there like the sun. It's shining 24-7, but you can't see it sometimes. you got to brush those clouds out of the way. And the more you start loving yourself, I think you'll find out the less you need this stuff. And and it's just, but you have to go through that process yourself, right? Right. And so what I do is I just kind of help people give different, I give them different perspectives. And then the reality is, is like, I don't really give a shit what you do. Like when I'm coaching people, I mean, I love you unconditionally, but I understand that this, this experience that you have, this body you've been given, this mind that you've been given, you've also been given a choice of light and dark. And both of those choices are valid. They are very valid choices. And you have to decide which ones you're going to choose. My job as a coach and as somebody is just to help them see different perspectives. And I'm trying to help people move towards the light. That's all I'm trying to do with their health with their relationships, with their career, with their finances, with their spiritual path is moving this direction and tapping into that consciousness. That's what my real goal now is as a coach. It's not just like, okay, let's help you lose 42 pounds and, you know, hit the ball 20, you know, 20 yards farther, 50 yards farther. Yeah, we can do that. That's bullshit stuff. That's low frequency. That's, that's okay. That's, that's important, but it's not, it's not the most important thing. We want to raise your vibrational frequency of every cell in your body so you can tap into God. That's the most important thing. Well, it's funny that you say about being high on life and then how he almost didn't even feel anything when he smoked. I'd say for the last six weeks or so, when I do smoke, I don't even feel anything. And I'm to the point now where I'm almost like, why am I doing this? Maybe just because it's a habit, because it's not giving me that satisfaction that it used to, because I feel that I'm so, as you say, unconditional love for myself. I'm in such a beautiful spot that that doesn't do anything for me anymore. That doesn't change the frequency. And I think that that's a pretty powerful thing. And, and like you said, back to society, uh, it took me two years. I had a serious identity problem because I was showing up to these parties or social events and not having cocktails. And I had people asking me why. And I felt uncomfortable because I had never been in situations like that where I didn't have a buzz. And I would say only in the last six months or so, I've been so comfortable with the person that I am and that I've become that now I show up to these events and I almost, I almost not that I, I think I'm better than anybody, but I'm like, gosh, I have beat what all these people are are suffering right now. And, and they, they show up and they drink cause it's a social norm. And then they have a tough morning and it's just really such a ugly, and they get DUIs side. on the way home, they get DUIs on the way home. And they steal the I, point, the top realtor steals point setters and they get him on videotape stealing them. <laughs> like this happened, like to a yeah. friend of mine's buddy, they had, they, they like Tom, you, you need to return the point setter. He's like, what are you talking about? Right, He's like, dude, we have you on tape. Like, Oh, on tape, right. One more question. <laughs> I've been looking at a bunch of different retreats to go try one of those ayahuasca retreats. Is it worth it? Um, yes. And I actually okay. know exactly who to hook you up with. There we go. 
There we go. What a deal. Easy peasy. Easy peasy. Cool. I just had him on my show today. And he's a wonderful human being. And they, okay. they have a church set up and it's all legal. It's all about board. There's sacraments. They have all the legalese done. And you can go there. You don't have to be like, you know, 007 in somebody's right. house or go to the jungle. And located. Um, well, they do them. And I believe in, uh, I think it was New England or New Hampshire, one of the news. Okay. And then also yeah. on, uh, on, oh, in Hawaii. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's that's easier than Costa Rica, where I was looking at going. <laughs> yeah. Well, Costa Rica is yeah. cool. Costa Rica is yeah. cool. Yeah. Cool. We're going to be doing a retreat, uh, Carter. It's not announced yet, but our first chemical-free body retreat um, will be for two weeks in a new um, uh, health clinic um, retreat center in uh, in Colombia, seven thousand okay. feet up in the mountains. Yeah. In a beautiful resort, and a guy's building this whole thing out. Is uh, he? Um, his wife passed away uh, with cancer, and then he met this other gal when they were working to get their his wife's cancer and her cancer, and then she died. He put together a fund. He's very very wealthy, and um, and gave away about a million bucks, two hundred women. He gave them a thousand bucks a month while they're going through chemo and stuff. But he said the problem was he goes after I had like you know two hundred women, all I saw him do was get sicker and die. So he mm-hmm. goes like, there's got to be something better. And so now he's he's creating a healing retreat. And um, I'm going to be working with him on that and help him get set up and stuff like that. And he's a great dude. Great dude. So there's a lot of selfless cool. people out there doing great things. Cool. And you don't have to have a million dollars to do it. Um, the first thing is, you know, give permission slips to everybody around you and your personal family by, you know, loving yourself and changing yourself. Exactly. That's the most important thing we can all do. That is right. Beautiful. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I know that um, we have to get going because you've got some football stuff to head out to for. Yeah, I get to go sit outside in the 110 while my boy, today's the first practice with helmets. And so we'll see how this goes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, make sure you're staying plenty hydrated out there, right? So, um, Yes, sir. Hey, and Richards, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the <laughs> podcast. And to be able to check out all of our other previous guests that we've had on the show, like wonderful Charlie Belgian. Uh, you can go to our website at www.thehealthandwealthpodcastshow.com and make sure to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Google, Spotify, Apple, whatever the case may be. So uh, for my fantastic co-host, Mr. Chemical Free Body himself, Tim James, I'm Carter Wilcox and CEO and founder of CSI Financial Group. Thank you for joining us again. Charlie, seriously. Buddy, I was so excited about having you on today. Thank you so much for sharing part of your journey. I know there's lots more in the show notes. We will have the uh, way to get in touch with you. Maybe your Instagram, whatever it is, that uh, is Wonderful. an easy way to be able to, to connect with you. But thank you so much for joining us today, Charlie. Thank you, guys. And I very much appreciate your time. And Tim, I would definitely like to get your info um, when we're done so we can connect. Sure. Well, hang. don't hang up at the end. Carter. Okay. <laughs> I even know this is the end. I have to hang up at the end. There's nothing I can do about it, but I will promise you that I will, after the show is completely done. Just Texas, Texas. Are okay, perfect. I'll, I'll email, I'll connect you guys and everything. So I'll, I'll okay, take cool. Hey, and Richards again, until next time on the health and wealth podcast show. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, everybody. Thank you guys. Hey, Enrichers, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Health and Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Carter Wilcoxon. And I'm your host, Tim James. And by God, we are committed to helping you guys have fat wallets, flat bellies. So tune in again for another episode and make sure to like, share, and drink a lot of water. Or beer.
You have just listened to the Health and Wealth Podcast with Carter and Tim.